This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's show comes from Darabin Presbyterian Church in Melbourne's Inner North. Today's big question, can you have a Merry Christmas with depression? We're asking this question today to Reverend Dr. Peter Adam. Peter is Vicar Emeritus of St. Jude's Anglican Church in Carlton, where he was vicar for 20 years. He was also principal of Ridley College for 10 years, and he's also the author of many books and regularly speaks around the world. And he joins me now. Please welcome Reverend Dr. Peter Adam. Well, welcome, Peter. Welcome to Bigger Questions. Thank you. Um, Now, Peter, Christmas is fast approaching. Now, are you a fan of Christmas at all? Oh, in a mild sort of way. I do, I do approve of the incarnation. I think that's a jolly good idea. <laughs> so what do you like about Christmas then? Uh, singing songs of praise to God for sending his son. That's the thing I like about Christmas. Okay, excellent. And do you have a favourite or a memorable Christmas? Well, my first, I, I went to England uh, for 10 years. I guess my f- first Christmas in England was memorable because I was away from family. So that was Different. Different. But yes. uh, I went to church and people invited me for lunch. And, and it was it a good was, lunch? It was, well, it was terrific. That's very good. Sausages. Huh? All right. <laughs> Sausages. Brussels sprouts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, <laughs> gravy. Good, and gravy. And gravy. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Well, well, to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today we're talking with Peter Adam about depression and merriment at Christmas. So in today's smaller questions, Peter, I thought we'd test you on how much you know about joy at Christmas. There's two questions, both multiple choice. Now, question one. Now, one possible source of joy at Christmas is Christmas cracker jokes. Now, the truly terrible jokes found inside Christmas crackers. Now, last year, a thousand people in Ireland were polled for their favourite Christmas cracker joke. Now, which one of these four was it? Okay, so which one of these was Ireland's favourite Christmas cracker joke? Okay, was it A, what does Santa suffer from if he gets stuck in a chimney? claustrophobia was it b who hides in the bakery at christmas a mince spy was it c what did adam say the day before christmas it's christmas eve (laughs) i didn't say they were good there's a christmas cracker jokes or d what do you get if you cross santa with a duck a christmas quacker so Peter, which of those really joyful and funny jokes that everyone has really enjoyed here tonight was Ireland's favourite Christmas cracker joke? The third one. It was very confidently said there, Peter. Um, it was close, but if you wanted to try maybe another one further down. Like the, fourth. the fourth one, the yes. Fourth, that's the fourth right, one. It was the fourth of course one. It was, yes, yes the f- I meant the fourth yes, one. Yes, you did. Of yeah, course you did. Right. Yes, yeah. yes. It was actually the, um, the Christmas cracker yeah. was actually the, the most favourite Irish joke. Perhaps the one about Christmas Eve was... Next most pop- yes, popular, yes, perhaps. Sure, yes, sure yes. Was, yeah. So do you think that Christmas cracker jokes bring joy to Christmas? Um, momentarily, yeah. <laughs> Are you a fan of them at all? Um, mildly. <laughs> <laughs> Question two. What was the verse shown on the first commercially available Christmas card printed in England in 1843? Was it A, I be thou glad or joyful, as the vulgar people say, rest you merry? Was it B, A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you? Was it C, Keep Calm and Merry Christmas? Or was it D, Happy Holidays? So which of those was 
printed on the first commercially available Christmas card in 1843. Oh, the, the second. And that's a very good one to go because that's the correct answer. Yes, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you. It was, in fact, the first... Well, why not? Yeah. That's... We're being, we're being very merry here tonight. Yes, Peter. I remember it. You oh, see. Yes. <laughs> I, I received one of those cards, as a matter of fact. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. Well, that's very well. That's from a wealthy friend, perhaps? Or, yes, yes. Right, or an elderly friend. An elderly friend. <laughs> right, well, in fact, this was the first known reference to the phrase Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Um, although the reference had been made to Merry Christmas before, as per answer A, which was actually recorded in a dictionary in 1548. I don't remember that. No, okay, right. Well, Peter, you must be very merry at Christmas because you passed. You got one of our two smaller questions right. Big round of applause. So, Peter, merriment and joy are key parts of Christmas, and the term Merry Christmas has become a universal term to communicate joy and good wishes. But feeling happy and merry is not necessarily the experience of someone suffering from depression. Now, Peter, you do suffer from depression. So what exactly is it? It's, it's just more than feeling a bit sad or down, isn't it? Um, well, my psychiatrist describes it as a lack of energy, which is quite a good way of describing it, I think. Yeah. I don't have energy to enjoy myself, don't have energy to enjoy other people, no energy to relate, uh, not a lot of energy to work, not a lot of energy to be interested in life. That's, that's what depression is like, I think. Right, okay. And, and there's a sense of um, sadness as well that's associated with yeah, that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah? yeah? Yeah. So is it then hard to feel merriment and joy? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because that takes a lot of energy? It does, that's right, yeah. Mm. So how did then it happen for yourself? What was your experience of depression? Well, it uh, began in 1985. Uh, it was just after Easter, in fact. I'd had a very busy Easter, of course, uh, mm -hmm. taking services and preaching and so on. Uh, and I started crying and I couldn't stop. So I worked out something was wrong. Mm -hmm. Was there anything that stimulated the crying? or was, did no, you just... Just, just erupted, yeah. yeah. And from then I went sort of downhill into a very deep depression. I was overwhelmed by guilt, but I couldn't think what I'd done wrong. Uh, it was as if I'd gone out that morning and murdered somebody, but couldn't remember having done it, but then felt appropriately guilty at the end of it all. Yeah. Um, I felt I lived in a kind of diving bell, so right. people would come and wave at me and I could wave at them, but there was no real communication, so mm. I felt cut off from people and cut off from God as well. So yeah, yeah. It was awful. Yeah, no, uh, no thank, you for, thank you for sharing. It what, else, what other things were you feeling at this, this time? Oh, immensely sad about everything. I could, there was nothing I could enjoy, so every, every moment of the day was tedious. And I lost interest in eating because every mouthful meant extending my life and I didn't particularly want to do that. There mm. was no point in that. Mm. So you almost felt like you wanted to die as oh, well? Oh, yes, sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so there was like a black cloud sort of hovering yeah, over you? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But isn't the, the Christian message about... You mentioned guilt before, but isn't the Christian message about freedom from guilt and condemnation? So did knowing that make your depression worse? Well, it was a bit complicated because... Uh, people trying to help me would say, you know, but Jesus died for you on the cross. But uh, Jesus died for real sins, not for imaginary sins, and that was my problem. Right. Um, and if you can't think what you've done wrong, then you can't think how to confess it, so you can't be assured of forgiveness. Mm. So um, 
The thing which helped me most of all was, uh, in fact, reading Psalm 139 about being fearfully and wonderfully made and knit together in my mother's womb. Mm -hmm. Because it was really God the creator, the idea of God the creator which helped me most. Because it meant that God intended me. He, me he meant me to happen. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, that gave me some sense of purpose and responsibility. Mm. So that would help overcome your desire to die, so to speak, yeah, exactly because you actually right. felt that I had a purpose. That's exactly right. That's right. right. Yes, yeah. Now, our society makes a lot of how we're feeling. <laughs> yes, it does. So how did that affect you? Well, I get so sick of people asking how you feel about things um, because the answer is sometimes not very happy. But... That's not the end of the story. That's not the end of my life. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm very struck by Paul's advice to those who mourn in 1 Thessalonians 4 or 5. He says, grieve but not without hope. Yeah. So when somebody's died, it's right to grieve them because it's a great loss. But it's not a hopeless grief. Yeah. So my, I've learnt that I can be really sad, but not without hope. Mm. Is it hard to have hope with depression? It is. Uh, one of the most helpful things that other people did was to say, we believe that God will rescue from this and sustain you through it. So I trusted in their hope at that time. Mm. Mm. But over the years, I've learned to have that hope myself. Mm. Mm. So how did then your, your depression affect your attitude to God? Did you question if he was even there? Uh, certainly, he, f he felt a long way away. I think the good thing I did was to keep calling out to him to rescue me because I knew nobody else could. Yeah. So even in my despair, I was calling on God and saying, why, please do something because you're the only person who can. Mm, mm. So what was it then that caused your depression? Was there anything in particular, do you think? Or are oh, you not sure? Uh, a mixture of things. I think I, th I suspect I'd actually been melancholy for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, I was overworking, so it was a bit of burnout. Yep. And I now think it's probably a good thing it came to the surface so I could deal with it. If it was inside me, it was good to come to the surface. Mm. So I now look back and think, well, I'm glad that happened because it meant that I dealt with it mm. and I'm now more attuned to knowing how to live wisely as a depressed person. Mm. I'm mm. still depressed, yes, but I know better how to live with it. Mm. So in some ways you're grateful for those tears. I am very, very grateful. Yes, yes. And so what, how, did you, how did you treat it or how has it been treated for you? Well, I was sent off to a psychiatrist, which for me, from my family background, was the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. That was the unmentionable thing was mental illness and psychiatrists. Yeah. So I found it horrendous to go. But God kindly provided a very helpful man. Uh, and I've had a series of psychiatrists since then. They, get, they tend to wear out and I need to get another <laughs> one. Um, uh, but I still go for a checkup every three months with my current psychiatrist. I'm on medication and have been on and off really since 85. Uh, that doesn't take the depression away, but it makes it more manageable. So I'm very thankful for that. Right. They, they give you a bit more energy, perhaps. Uh, yes, it lifts... I think of my mood as being something out of 10. It lifts me from 6 out of 10 to 8 out of 10. Right. And I reckon that's pretty good. Right, yeah, yeah. So why couldn't you just 
shake it off or pull yourself together? Yeah, well, if you've lost a leg... It's just a flesh wound, isn't it? It's a flesh wound, <laughs> but to say pull yourself together is not tremendously helpful. Right, yeah. Um, and it's equally unhelpful if you're depressed to say pull yourself together, that's the one thing you can't do. Right. Do people say that to you, though? Uh, no, they didn't. No, I'm thankful to say they didn't say that. Either people were very helpful or they pretended nothing had happened. Mm. Now, some pastors have suggested that those with depression should shake it off and move forward in faith, relying on God's strength. So why couldn't you do that? Or did you? I did do that. That is, I did rely on God's strength. But um, I'm, I'm so comforted by uh, Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 12. He talks about a thorn in the flesh sent by Satan. And he asks Christ to take it away. And the answer is no, for my... My strength is made perfect in weakness. Mm. So there's a kind of strength you find from God which you only find in the midst of weakness. Mm. You don't find it when you're feeling strong. No, no, because you're probably tempted to think that that's your own strength. Perhaps. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And one of the great joys of being depressed and growing old is you discover that God can use... You, you, when you're young, you think God can use your gifts. The lovely thing is God can use your weakness... And your failing powers as well. It's terrific. I recommend God. He's just <laughs> But though if God is good and powerful though, why does he afflict you like this? Uh, well, I think that all human beings suffer from some kind of illness during their life. I've had cancer as well. Um, had pimples when I was young. <laughs> right. um, ingrowing toenails. Uh, no one gets through life without some kind of illness. Mm. Uh, that's just part of the human condition, the fallen human condition. Uh, why doesn't God make it go away? Well, I'm, uh, I always remember James chapter 1, count it all joy when you meet various trials. Well, I haven't managed that yet, but I'm working on it. Mm. Uh, because trials do draw us closer to God. Trials do make us depend on God more. Trials do... Uh, test us and God is proving our trust in him and our trials do enable us to help other people who are going through difficult times. So then how did your depression affect your approach to the Bible? Uh, did you read the Bible at all or did that help? Uh, yes, I did read the Bible. I was um, encouraged because the Bible is such an honest human book. Mm -hmm. So in the Bible... Although the, it's a book about God, there are people on every page. And the people are at times cross with God, at times joyful in God, at times glad with God, at times grumpy with God, at times angry with God, at times pleased with God. Uh, and they can express their joy to God, they can express their deep regrets to God, their pain to God, their sorrow to God, their frustration to God and confess their sins to God. Mm -hmm. So it's a very human book. Yes. And I found that a great comfort. Yes. You've also mentioned, though, that the Bible, was it sanity or something? When your mind was racing, so to speak, or you're feeling depressed, you mentioned that it said something about it being sanity or something. What do you mean by that? Well, I had to decide whether to trust my feelings or trust the scriptures. What I felt was that I was worthless and... It would be better for other people if I were dead. I'd be less of a bother to them. That mm -hmm. was the motivation for suicide. 
but I read in the Bible that actually I was intended by God and God loved me. So therefore my feelings were wrong. Mm. So then I had to decide, do I trust my bad feelings or do I trust the good words of God? Mm. And so it actually, the experience of depression actually increased my trust in the scriptures as providing a, a sane view of reality and the truth about the world. I recently read, uh, a, I don't know if it is by Chesterton, somebody said it was, that preaching is like preaching sanity in a world of lunacy. And I thought that's very good actually. Mm. Because so often our feelings deceive us and our assumptions and our beliefs deceive us. Sanity is found in God and God's truth and God's truth in the scriptures. Mm. And that was its... Uh, that's what you experienced, I suppose, absolutely, absolutely. Through, through this experience. I wouldn't be alive today if it wasn't for what the Bible told me about God and myself. That's right. Mm. Yeah. Well, in the Old Testament book of Psalms, Psalm 88 is described as the most mournful, darkest and saddest of all Psalms, a wintry landscape of unrelieved bleakness. I love it. <laughs> so, so is this an appropriate Psalm to read when you feel depressed? Yes, I was so pleased when I found it. Because lots of psalms have a happy ending. Yes, this one doesn't. This one doesn't. This one ends, darkness is my closest friend. And I thought, that's me. I'm just there. Yes, well, I mean, and it's not just the ending, but it's the whole psalm itself. So, for example, in verse 3, he says, I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. In verse 15, from my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. In verse 16, your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. And then it concludes, as you say in verse 18, you have taken from me my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. So that really resonated with you then, Peter? Yeah, that's exactly right. Though uh, the psalm does begin, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. Um, so you can feel all of that and still be calling out to God. Mm. You can still believe that God will save you, but still have to cry out to him day and night. Mm. And that was, that was your all experience? All of that was true, exactly right. And that was your experience as well? Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but how wonderful that God can cope with the worst of human sadness. Well, I felt it was the worst of human sadness, mm. of course. Mm. So how does it affect you to know that passages like Psalm 88 are in the Bible? Well, it's so encouraging because it means that God recognises that you know, for what for me were the depths of human sadness and recognises them when other people are embarrassed by them, but they're actually in his holy book. Mm. Does it surprise you that it's there? It did surprise me, yeah. Uh, but then when you think about it, there's lots of dysfunction and sadness in the Bible. We've just had a sermon series of the church I go to called uh, From Genesis, broken families, unbroken promise. We've mm. gone through family life in Genesis from Abraham to Joseph. It's all pretty grotty and dysfunctional, to be honest. Right. But God is still working out his good purposes. Mm. That's human life. Mm. So do you think that Psalm 88 is useful for someone to read who suffers from depression? Yes, it wouldn't be the only thing you would read, but I think it's a great place to start. Yeah. 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 I found Psalm 23 helpful as well. But I go through the valley of the shadow of death. Even there your right hand will guide me and so on. Mm. So uh, it's good to read scriptures which express your grief. It's also good to read scriptures which express a little more hope. Yeah. Mm, mm. 
Well, elsewhere in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Luke, which is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life that we have, we read about the story of the first Christmas where the baby Jesus is born. Now, in chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, where an angel of the Lord appears to shepherds in a field, Luke writes, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, Peter, this passage talks about good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Um, is this the reason we sing Christmas carols, like joy to the world at Christmas time? Yes, it is. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So what exactly brings joy at Christmas then? That God loved the world so much that he gave his best gift, his son, and his son died in our place on the cross that we might be forgiven so we can know God mm. and be adopted into his family and be indwelt by his Holy Spirit. Mm. That's, that's the joy of Christmas for me. Mm. And that's good news. Absolutely. Yes, yes. Um, now, throughout the, the 17th century, there was a real battle over Christmas and some Christians objected to its celebration. One writer even saying, laughter was inconsistent with the gravity, modesty and sobriety that ought to mark a Christian life. Jesus, who himself never laughed, condemned those who did. So is happiness and celebration really an appropriate response at Christmas time? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because uh, the shepherds are told to be joyful. Right. And uh, Mary's excited when she sings her song about the coming of the baby. And John, uh, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, is joyful at the coming of the Messiah. So... Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is joy, so it's right to be joyful at Christmas. As much joy as you can manage, I mm. think. Yeah. Well, as someone suffering from depression, though, Peter, do you find joy in the message of Christmas? I find joy in the message of Christmas, uh, but not so much in Christmas itself. I think there's something grotesque about celebrating the birth of the Saviour in a manger and stuffing yourself with food. I think it's just it's really bizarre. It's almost as silly as having fake snow on a very hot day in Australia. <laughs> right, yes. Uh, there are th those kind of bizarre things, which I, th I think that's horrid, ridiculous. But I do have a deep joy in me at Christmas because this is true. Mm. God did send his son. His son was born as a baby. And his birth was not a joyful birth. It was a difficult time. They couldn't find an, no room at the inn and they were born in a manger and then head off to head off to uh, Egypt as refugees. I mean, and then the little boys of Bethlehem were killed by Herod. I mean, it, it has happiness in it, but it promises happiness, but it's not altogether a happy story. As mm. the story of Jesus' life and death is not, in one way, a happy story. Lots of people followed him and then deserted him. Mm. Uh, lots of people opposed him. He was finally put to death. I mean, that's not a happy story, but the outcome is joy for the world, mm. as the carol says. Mm. So then is, it is possible to have joy and be depressed? Yes, yeah, certainly. Yeah. How does that manifest itself? It's, it's not a happy joy. It's just a deep certainty that despite what I feel, despite you know, the immense tragedies in the world around us, I mean, millions and millions of refugees. I mean, it's just awful. Mm. Uh, it'd be silly to think, well, we're in a little happiness bubble and we can just be happy at Christmas mm. without thinking of the people who are going through real suffering. Uh, 
all around the world, Christians persecuted for their faith and lots of people uh, uprooted from their homes. It's a grim world, you know. Mm. Um, so I don't think we ought to pretend that there is universal happiness at Christmas. Mm. But is there possibility of joy in God? Yes, there is. Mm. So do you think the Christmas cracker jokes help at all? They don't help me a great <laughs> deal, no. But uh, if, you, if they help you, Rob, you go and enjoy them. Okay, thanks, yeah. I've got more if you like. No, I no, yes. Yeah, I, so I, think, I think four is enough for one day. Right. So there is a difference then between joy and feeling happy. So what, what exactly is that difference? Well, happiness is so ephemeral, isn't it? It's so uh, transitory. So you're having a happy day and then you stub your toe and all of a sudden all the happiness disappears. Mm, mm. Or you plan a wonderful holiday and then you start vomiting on the second day and you vomit for the entire six months. <laughs> you know, the great holiday of the lifetime is suddenly spoiled. Yeah. Happiness just, just disappears so quickly. It's more transitory, so to speak. It is. It, that's exactly right. Whereas joy is a deep thing uh, which wells up from within you. It's a gift of God. And it's not, it's not affected by circumstances because it comes from your deepest convictions and your deepest trusts and your deepest relationship. Mm. Yeah. So does the Christmas message then make you more or less sad? It depends so much on the ups and downs of my depression on the day. Mm -hmm. So I can have a really grotty Christmas day, but still have some joy. Mm. Or I can have a Christmas day which works out better than I expect. The great advantage of being a pessimist is that often things aren't as bad as you expect them to be. Whereas, <laughs> whereas you optimists must be permanently disappointed. <laughs> so I recommend depression and pessimism as a general policy as a, life. As a way of... Yeah, because yes. some things are sometimes better than you think they will be. Right, yes, yes. Um, so how then does the Christmas message affect you then? What difference does it make to you? Uh, it reminds me of the grand purpose for human life, the grand purpose for the universe which is to know God mm. and to love God and know we're loved by God and serve God. Mm. So it grounds me in reality. That's mm. what it does. Mm. So, Peter, wrapping up, can you have a Merry Christmas with depression? I don't think Merry is the word that I would use, but I certainly can have a hopeful Christmas and I can have a Christmas with some deep joy in my heart. Well, let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question. Can you have a Merry Christmas with depression? From Psalm 88:18. You have taken from me, friend and neighbour. Darkness is my closest friend. And then in Luke 2. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guests today. Peter Adam. Enjoy bigger questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.